Psalm 120, commencing to read at the first verse. In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. Deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips, from a deceitful tongue. What shall be given to you, and what more shall be done to you, you deceitful tongue? A warrior's sharp arrows with glowing coals of the broom tree. Woe to me that I sojourn in Meshach, that I dwell among the tents of Kedar. Too long have I had my dwelling among those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. When I um, have a long journey ahead of me, I love nothing more than to wind the car window down, feel the cool breeze in my hair, open a can of Coke, other brands are available, and then sing along at the top of my voice to my favourite playlist. As I do, I find the lyrics of Take It to the Limit and Life in a Fast Lane and Peaceful, Easy Feeling so emotive. Now, over these next few weeks on Sunday mornings, we're going to be turning in tuning in to an inspired playlist put together for the ultimate road trip. The uh, songs of ascents that begin in Psalm 120, the psalm that we've just had read for us, and the psalm we'll be looking at today, the songs of ascents were the playlist for the pilgrims who made long, exhausting and dangerous journeys up to Jerusalem. Believers would have sung these songs on that journey because this playlist was compiled to encourage them to keep going until they finally reached Jerusalem. Of course, as we sit here on a Sunday morning, week after week, we're not on a journey to earthly Jerusalem. Many of us will never take a trip to that ancient city located 2,000 miles away in the Middle East. But if we're Christians here this morning, we are on a journey, a pilgrimage, if you will, to the heavenly Jerusalem. And these psalms, the songs of ascents, are here to spur us on, to encourage us to keep going in the Christian life uh, and not to give up until the day when we are finally and fully with the Lord in the glorious new heavenly Jerusalem. Psalm 120, the first song of ascents, is a prayer. You'll see that in verse 1. It's a deeply heartfelt prayer springing out of the distress of living in a godless world. Let me tell you about Andrew, not his real name, and he's fine with me telling you this. Andrew's had a really tough time these last few years. I won't go into all the details. Andrew said, I feel utterly overwhelmed by living in this world. I long to be home with the Lord, free from all the struggles, all the rubbish of this life. Despite all these difficulties and struggles Andrew's faced, any one of which could well have caused him to give up following Jesus, despite all he's gone through, Andrew continues faithfully walking with the Lord and he still longs to tell people about Jesus. Indeed, just recently he was given a really hard time for speaking to somebody about the gospel and with everything else that that he's had to endure in these last years, he said, I can't wait for the day when I'll be delivered from living in a world that is so anti-God. Now, that is something of the spirit of Psalm 120. The psalmist is finding living in this world deeply distressing. Do you see it there in verse 1? In my distress. And verse 2, he wants to be delivered. That's the word from all the lies and deceit all around him all the time. That's the word in verse 2, delivered. 
Now, we may not feel it as acutely as the psalmist did, or indeed as Andrew does. Many of us here this morning won't be feeling deeply distressed by the struggles of living in this world. But there's a very good chance that there will be times in our life when we do feel it intensely. Times when, like Andrew, life is really tough. Times when we long to be finally and forever in our heavenly home with the Lord. Times when we ache to be delivered from the struggles of this life. This is a psalm precisely for those times, although, as we'll see, it's for more than that as well. Indeed, Psalm 120 assures us that feeling distressed in this world and longing to be delivered from the struggles of this life is a very normal Christian experience. Well, without further ado, let's press press play and start listening to the psalm. And the first point on the handout, if you're following along, the situation living as an alien and stranger in the world. Look with me at verse 5. Woe to me that I sojourn in Meshech, that I dwell among the tents of Kedar. Uh, Meshech and Kedar were real places, but they were miles apart geographically. Meshech, north of Israel, that is outside of the land of Israel, but north of Israel. Kedar, southeast of Israel. Being geographically so far apart, they can only be coupled here as a general term for living in a foreign land, away from home, away from Israel, away from Jerusalem especially, and surrounded by unbelievers. Now, if we're Christians here this morning, that is precisely our situation. Living in this world, we live in a foreign land, a world which is dominated by unbelievers. This world is not our home, and often it feels as if we simply don't belong. Some years back, I spent a summer in New York City working with drug addicts. To quote the singer-songwriter Sting, I was an Englishman in New York, an alien, a, a legal alien. It was a strange experience. As I walked around the Big Apple, I looked like many Americans. Until I opened my mouth, and then it was obvious I was an alien, a stranger. We supposedly spoke the same language, but we regularly didn't understand each other. I had jam on my bread, they had jelly, but it looked like the same stuff to me. Their chips were my crisps and my chips were their French fries. And when they said they liked my pants, I thought they could see my underwear. (laughs) The language we spoke was the same and yet strangely different. And it wasn't just the language. One way and another, I didn't fit in. I found myself longing for home. Now, look, isn't that our experience as Christians living in this world? I'm a Brit, born and bred in England, lived all my life in the UK, but I don't always feel at home here in Britain because I'm a Christian, and as a Christian, I'm a citizen of heaven, so I feel like an alien and a stranger in this world. Even though I've lived here all my life, the language, the morals, the ambitions, even many of the laws of this land are at odds with the ways of the kingdom of God. That is Psalm 120. The psalmist is a believer In a foreign land, verse 5, I sojourn in Meshech. He's a stranger, an alien, a legal alien, verse 5. I dwell in the tents of Kedar. And as we've already seen in verse 1, it really distressed him. Indeed, in verse 5, he cries, Woe to me. Woe is a word of overwhelming grief. It's the anguished cry of a bereaved mourner at a funeral. Is he living far from Jerusalem and not being surrounded by God's people was like a bereavement for the psalmist, deeply distressing. And there were two things that caused him such pain. First, lies and deception. Second, hatred and war. They're both on the handout. First, lies and deception, verse 2. 
Deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips and from deceitful tongues. Living among unbelievers, the psalmist felt that he was surrounded by liars and deceivers. Now, now please don't misunderstand this. Not for one moment do we want to suggest that unbelievers only ever speak lies all the time. Neither do we think that everything an unbeliever says or does is deceitful. I think of friends of mine who are not Christians and I trust them to tell the truth and I don't suspiciously analyze everything they say, cynically believing that they're trying to deceive me. That's not the point here. No, the point is that anyone who holds to a worldview where Jesus Christ is not Lord, any perspective where Jesus is not heart and center of the very meaning of life, anyone who has an alternative outlook to the gospel is believing on and living by a deceitful framework. Everything I hear that is not in line with the Bible is deceptive. And so living in this world, which marches to a completely different drumbeat, means that almost all our lives, every day, in every situation, exposes us to lies and deceit all the time. As I sit down to watch the television news and I hear great and highly skilled commentators brilliantly analysing the political scene, I am often listening to lies and deceit. Not because the BBC's journalists are deliberately setting out to deceive me, but because they are not assessing things from a Christian perspective and so they will often be presenting a distorted view of reality. Whenever Jesus Christ is not the foundation of how we understand the world, it is inevitable that the conclusions we reach are untrue. So as we watch Netflix, the fundamental assumptions behind almost every film we watch are flawed. Virtually every advert I watch deceives my heart, telling me that this, that or another product will give me something or do something for me that in fact only God can give me. Advertising deceives. When well-meaning, unbelieving friends give me advice, they'll often lead me astray, not because they don't care for me. Not because they're deliberately trying to deceive me, but because they've not adopted Jesus' values and attitudes to life. And therefore, the fundamental premise of their advice will be wrong and will lead me astray. And so, whether I'm listening to political comment, watching a film, talking to unbelieving friends, engaging with my work's diversity policy, sitting in a business meeting, following celebrities uh, on social media, in almost every aspect of everyday life, I am bumping up against views that are in conflict with those of the one true living God. And so, almost all the time, every day, at work, at school, at leisure, I'm exposed to lies and deceit. That's verse 2. And it's distressing, verse 1. And at times, verse 2, I'll long to be delivered from it. Sometimes the lies and deceit I encounter will be as obvious as the nose on my face. You'll have encountered barefaced lies that deny God and his word, and you'll have spotted them a mile off. But more often than not, it's very subtle that there's a propaganda war going on around us all the time. Satan, the prince of this world, is on a constant mission to persuade me to subscribe to different ways of thinking about the world and how it works. And it is exhausting when it's relentlessly coming at me all the time. Staying alert to lies 24-7 is tiring and distressing. That is verse 1. Think of the Apostle Paul walking around Athens in Acts chapter 17, where we read he was, quote, greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. 
there is a sense in which we should feel distressed by living in a world that denies God. Indeed, as I've been studying this psalm, I felt convicted that I don't feel more distressed more often through living in such a godless environment. The preacher Philip Ryken, commenting on US culture, writes uh, these words. I think we're going to have them on the screen. We've lost the wisdom to know where the truth ends and falsehood begins. Family relationships are false. Many people live together as if they were married, but without the sanction of marriage vows. Others have taken marriage vows, but have made themselves liars by breaking the marriage covenant. There is falsehood in advertising, television ads, magazines and billboards manipulate us with false promises, misleading conclusions and vain hopes. There's falsehood in politics where campaign season is the season for lies, deceptions and half-truths. There's falsehood in business where corporations hide their intentions from their employees and investors. There's falsehood at the university, the presupposition upon which, uh, upon which the postmodern academy operates is that there is no such thing as an absolute truth, only a host of conflicting interpretations of reality, each as valid as the next. That's the world we're living in. Living in this world, we are surrounded by lies and deceit, and that really troubled the psalmist, and that is why he prayed, verse 1, In my distress I called to the Lord, and he answered me, Deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips and from deceitful tongues. The second thing that so distressed the psalmist was living among people of war and hatred. Look with me at verse 6. Too long have I had my dwelling among those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they're for war. Now again, not for one moment is this suggesting that every unbeliever wants to pick a fight or start a conflict or even start another war. No, this is saying that as we stand for the gospel of peace, we encounter hostility. And if you've been a Christian for more than five minutes, you're sure to have experienced this. You'll know that when you speak clearly about Jesus and express a Christian worldview, it brings you into conflict with those around you, at school, at work, socially. Look, there are teenagers in our church family who courageously stand for Jesus at school and they are hated for it. I've just returned from the city summer school where I've heard stories of city workers who've been told that if they continue to speak about Jesus, they will lose their job. One uh, fantastically bold woman stood up and said, I've already been told that I've got two strikes, one more strike and I'm out. So here we are as Christians for peace. We speak of Jesus, the Prince of Peace. We want to tell people how it's possible to be at peace with God, how they can enjoy life beyond the grave in a place of eternal peace. We're for peace, verse 7. Yet as we share that beautiful message of peace, we encounter people who, end of verse 6, hate peace. We're for peace, but it causes conflict. And so uh, many of you will be able to echo verse 7, I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. It's the world we live in. We speak of Jesus, it's not unusual to receive a frosty reception, an antagonistic response, or an aggressive rebuttal. Well, look, Psalm 120 reassures us that that is the normal Christian experience for those who follow the Lord, because we live in a world that has rejected the Lord. It's normal, but it's no less distressing for that. 
That's the situation then, living as an alien and stranger in the world. And that's why the psalmist called out to the Lord in verse one. So from the situation, second to the prayer, to be delivered from this world much more briefly. Verse one, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me, deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips and from a deceitful tongue. In so many ways, the psalmist cry should be our cry because until eternity, the psalmist experience is our experience in this world. Now, please, this is not to suggest that living in this world is utterly distressing all the time. Of course not. There are many great things in this life. Just this last week, I've had many wonderful experiences. Not everything about this world is bad. But as we follow Jesus and stand for Jesus and try to live for Jesus, we will, to a greater or lesser extent, feel as if we just don't belong in this world. And when we feel excluded and battle-weary, then like the psalmist, we should call out to the Lord. Now, tellingly, this is how the songs of ascent begin. Remember, this is the playlist for the ultimate road trip. These are the songs pilgrims would sing while on their journey up to Jerusalem. And so as we journey through this life on our way up to heavenly Jerusalem, we can expect to start here. Feeling the distress of living as an alien and stranger in this world and desperately crying to the Lord, verse 1. And see, verse 1, it is the Lord that we cry to. The Lord, written in capital letters. Now, whenever you see the Lord in capital letters in the Bible, that's the name Yahweh. Yahweh, the the, the covenant-making and promise-keeping God. The God who is compassionate and faithful and gracious and forgiving, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness. The Lord who has made promises to his people and who will not break those promises. The Lord who will never leave us nor forsake us. The Lord who will hear and will answer the heartfelt cry of his children. That's verse one. I called to not just any old God. I called to the Lord, the God who keeps promises, and he answers. So Christian, in your distress, call to the Lord. He will answer. Which brings us thirdly to the answer, the promise of judgment on this world, verses three and four. Now, before we look at verse three, let me just chart back where we've come from. Verse two, the psalmist asked to be delivered from the lies and deceit in this world. Verse one, the psalmist was sure the Lord had answered that prayer. Now in verses three and four, we see the Lord's answer to that prayer. And it's the promise of future judgment. Addressing the deceitful tongues of the unbelieving world, we read verse three. What shall be given to you and what more shall be done to you, you deceitful tongue? A warrior's sharp arrows with glowing coals of the broom tree. The Lord promises that all the lying about God and his Christ, all the lying about God and his Christ that is happening all over the world all the time will one day be dealt with once and for all. Uh, The judgment to come is likened to the sharp arrows from the bow of a mighty warrior, verse 4. Picture the uh, deadly accuracy from the bow of Katniss Everdeen in the dystopian trilogy, The Hunger Games. Or if you're more old school, think of the precision of an arrow shot by Robin Hood. Katniss Everdeen or Robin Hood never miss. There was no escaping the piercing precision of those archers and there's no escaping the judgment of God. That's the point of verse four. The second image of punishment in verse four is that of the burning coals of a broom tree. Now, a broom tree is a large deciduous shrub, similar in appearance to a gorse bush, but without the spines. 
A broom tree could grow to be nine feet tall. So imagine the intensity of the searing heat when a mature, fully grown broom tree catches fire. Being exposed to the heat of the burning coals of the broom tree would be excruciatingly painful. And if you were too close, deadly. And so in those two pictures in verse 4, the warrior's sharp, piercing arrows and the burning coals of the broom tree, in those two images, the Lord assures us that deceitful lying tongues all around us will be punished. The deceitful lies of a world that has rejected God will one day be shot through and burnt up. What a relief. And it is this assurance of future judgment That is the answer to the heartfelt cry of the distress of living in a world of lies and deceit. But note it is a promise of future judgment. Verse 3, what shall be given you, you deceitful tongue, in the future? So here's the thing. In verse 1, the psalmist is sure the Lord answered prayer. But the way the Lord answered the psalmist's prayer for deliverance was not by giving him immediate relief. This is so important because whenever I cry to the Lord for deliverance from this world, I am desperate for an instantaneous answer. I either want the problem to be resolved immediately or I want to be transported directly to heaven. For those of you old enough to remember the original Star Trek television series, my desperate prayer is usually a sort of beam me up Scotty type of prayer. Get me out of this situation and off this planet now, Lord. But that is not how the Lord answered this prayer. Verse 1, the Lord did answer the psalmist's prayer for deliverance from this world. But verses 3 and 4, he did it by promising judgment to come. Effectively, he said, it's not always going to be like this. He assures us this lying, deceiving, peace-hating world will not get away with it. That's the encouragement of this psalm. So keep going on your journey to heavenly Jerusalem, even when you feel distressed by living in such a godless world. And know that all the distresses of this life are not the end of the story. All the injustices, and especially all the lies and deceit and peace-hating aggression, all the injustices will be judged. Oh, there'll be more encouragements to come in the next psalm, but that's what this psalm says. As we begin to wrap things up then, as pilgrims made their way towards Jerusalem, The first song of ascent would have encouraged them to keep going despite the distress of living in a world of lies and deceit. Telling them it's not always going to be like this. There's going to be a day of relief and of justice one day. And so for us, as we make our way through this life, feeling like aliens and strangers in this world, distressed by being surrounded by people who reject the Lord, hear the deep encouragement of this psalm. The Lord hears us when we cry out to him. He answers our prayer, verse 1. He assures us he will deal with those who war against us and the deceitful tongues that speak against him and his Christ. One day, Jesus will take us to be home with him in the new heavenly Jerusalem. We'll see that in Psalm 122. At home and at peace. One day, Jesus will silence all deceitful tongues and lying lips. And be assured as we call out to this Lord, we call out to the one who himself lived as an alien and stranger in this world. The one who himself lived among lying lips and deceitful tongues. The one who suffered as a result of lips that lied about him and tongues that deceived others about who he was. The one who, because of lying lips and deceitful tongues, was sentenced to death. 
death on a cross. And know that your distressed cries are heard by this Jesus, the Prince of Peace, who lived and died to bring us peace with God and to take us to a place where we will know only peace. The one who, like no other, could say, verse 7, I am for peace, and yet was met by sword-carrying soldiers. In all our struggles in this life, we come to Jesus, who has lived and felt this psalm more acutely than any of us. And so as we journey through this life of lies, trust him, the one who is the truth in a world of deceit. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you that whenever we come to your word, it is so remarkably relevant to our situations. We thank you for the deep encouragements of this psalm. Uh, we thank you that, that any of us who feel the great distress of living in a world full of lies and deceit, of hatred, uh, we thank you that as we come to you, you hear us. And we pray that any who are particularly distressed at the moment, that as they cry to you, they might feel the, the deep balm of this psalm upon them. And so we pray, encourage us to keep going this day and for the rest of our lives. Amen.